Hey, Jim. Welcome to the Drinking with Jen podcast. If it's your first time here, welcome. And if you're coming back, welcome back. Thank you so much for being here. Um, as I was getting ready to record, I actually received an email saying that Drinking with Jen is in the top, It's I think it said number 23 in self-improvement podcasts in Greece. So hello to all of my listeners in Greece. Welcome. I'm so happy that you're here. Um, I love Greece. I have been there, by the way. Um, I visited Athens and Santorini and Mykonos, and it is one of my favorite vacations that I've ever taken. Uh, Such a beautiful, beautiful country. Um, We always start every episode with, what are you drinking? And so today, because I've already had caffeine in the morning, I went out for coffee, uh, I decided I did not need anything else caffeinated, so I am drinking a tea. It's called Bengal Spice, and this is something that I just became aware of a few years ago. To me, it tastes like if you're familiar with chai, like a chai tea, it's kind of that spicy. This tastes so similar to chai tea to me, but there's no caffeine in it. So if you are looking for something not caffeinated, a nice uh, tea or a coffee alternative, I highly recommend this if that's kind of your flavor profile palette that you like. Um, I don't have a particular guest per se. I will tell you that there is someone special in the room today. While she won't be saying anything, I think this is only the second time that I've uh, brought her along for an episode of Drinking with Jen and Miss Francine, my perfect 12-pound Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, is here with us today. So hopefully she's just bringing lots of good vibes and positive energy. All right, so today's episode was actually inspired by a dear friend of mine who is one of my biggest supporters, helped me come up with Gin Path, which is my coaching model that is outlined in my second book, which is the guided journal. I'm my favorite, uh, Gin Path. So the G-I-N. And he and I were chatting the other day and he was like, you know, I'd really love if you did an episode on procrastination. And I was like, nah, I kind of poo-pooed it a little bit. And I started seeing more and more, and I think maybe it's the new year that has kicked in, and I feel like this is kind of a hot topic right now. Um, But it's, you know, it's even more than just procrastination. It's kind of like, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for to start? Why are you waiting to start? What is it that you are, are you scared of something? You know, what is the reason why? Are you not starting a particular task? Or maybe it's something bigger than just a task. Now, I'm going to reference a couple of articles. Um, One is from Medical News Today, and then there's another one um, that is more specific to narcissist abuse. So I know a lot of people are here on that journey, and so I want to make sure um, that I do make a tie-in. And I did see a lot of significant clinical data um, that did have this tie. It's not necessarily to say if you procrastinate, you are a victim of narcissist abuse or that you're in recovery from narcissist abuse, but there definitely was some interesting ties in some of the data and some of the credible articles that I found. So I will share some of that as well. But thinking about like, what is it that you're putting off? Is it you know, paying bills? There's certainly a time when everybody can be uh, 
fall victim, if you will, to procrastination. So whether it's paying bills or doing your taxes or just pulling together the things that you need to do your taxes. Maybe it's procrastinating a doctor's appointment or if you're in school, a school project. Maybe it's a work deadline. Maybe you're procrastinating ending a relationship. Whether it's a romantic relationship, a friendship, um, maybe you're procrastinating saying, I love you. And usually there's a reason, it's, it's a negative emotion that's tied to the reasons why we procrastinate. Maybe it's out of fear. Fear that they won't say I love you back. Fear that you might feel lonely by ending a relationship or that you might miss out on something. Um, you know, maybe it's that it's not enjoyable. Paying bills isn't always the most enjoyable task that we have on our plates, but sometimes these things are necessities. Or maybe you're procrastinating something that you're afraid that you won't be good at. But you're never going to know until you start. You're never going to know until you try. And you're never going to get over that fear or that negative emotion until you start. What's interesting is I saw this statistic a lot when I started researching this topic is that about 20% of people are chronic procrastinators. So while we all fall into that category of, you know, procrastinating things here and there, um, about 20% of the population actually procrastinates chronically. And get this, and I definitely can relate to this, college students, 75%. And I think a lot of times I would use the excuse of, oh, well, I just work best under pressure. Or maybe there's just, you know, there's a lot of newness when you're going into college where you're doing a lot of new things for the first time and you're balancing a lot of new tasks and new environment, new friends, new relationships, classes. Maybe you're working and trying to balance everything at the same time. So that one I definitely think is, you know, 75% sounds high. But I think it definitely can, you know, hit that mark. But remember from a few episodes ago, our friend Melissa from Sunrise Wellness in Texas said, what you resist persists. And so that task that you're procrastinating, the more you procrastinate it, the more that it sits there in front of you and can start to wreak havoc on the negative feelings that you have towards it. It can become that downward spiral, if you will. And if you think about procrastination, what you're doing is you're thinking about the future. You're thinking about anxiety. You're having these feelings that you can't have if you're actually just living in the moment. When you're in the present and fully living in the moment and you're doing the task that maybe you've been procrastinating, you can't be anxious about it. If you've been avoiding doing a task because you're feeling anxious about it or you have some sort of fear while you're doing it, these are future emotions. Like these are future-based emotions thinking about what you might be doing or what you might be feeling in the future. But you can't be really anxious about something once you cross that starting line. So in this one article, the Medical News um, Today article, they talk a little bit about the science. I'm not going to go too crazy sciencey on you because they talk about it much better in the actual article. So I'll let you read it if this is a part that's interesting to you, kind of getting into the science. I can be a little bit of a science nerd. So if you are too, you may want to read into this a little bit more. But they talk about how the limbic system is the older part of the brain. 
It's the part of the brain that seeks pleasure and or avoids distress. And then you have your prefrontal, your prefrontal cortex. And this is the newer part of the brain where, and I think if you look at some of the data, I'm sidebarring here for a second, but I believe women, their prefrontal cortex develops fully somewhere in their early 20s and men, it's in their mid to late 20s. So this is the newer part of the brain, which is responsible for planning, decision making and long term goals. And what happens, so when we're talking about procrastination in particular, what happens is these structures begin to fight and making it makes procrastination something that we all can struggle with from time to time. They also said that people who procrastinate often, so maybe that's the chronic procrastinators, that 20%, may even have a larger amygdala. And your amygdala is the part of the brain that's responsible for emotions. And oftentimes it can be responsible for the negative emotions that we feel. And what I think is important, I love to talk about this concept of cognitive diffusion. So what cognitive diffusion is, is I think, you know, I come from a generation where our parents told us, you know, we don't talk about that. Or I have a really vivid memory from when I was five years old. My sister was in the hospital. She had been in a horrific car accident and I walked into the hospital room and she was in casts and screws in her body. And I think her leg was, you know, in some sort of a sling. It was, she was in all these different contraptions and we were very close. She was like a mother to me and we still are very close. Um, I'm not saying that we're not close anymore, but as a little girl, I looked up to my sister so much and I spent so much time with her and seeing her and all of these contraptions in the hospital hooked up to machines was a really jarring experience for me. It's one of my earliest strong childhood memories. And walking in the room, seeing her, I just burst out into tears because I couldn't stand to see my sister like this. And someone, an adult in my family said to me, Ginny, don't cry. And to me now, as an adult, looking back and doing the work that I do now as a life coach and, you know, empowering and inspiring people to grow and be the best versions of themselves, I look at that as saying, don't feel. And I think from a generation that's like, we don't talk about our feelings, we don't show our feelings, we don't show our emotions. And I think a lot of men have particularly been brought up in that sort of an environment. And I want to break those boundaries. I want to bust those down. And I'll tell you, being vulnerable and open and authentic and showing my emotions, I, it's so freeing and it is such an enlightening place to be if you can get to that place and just being authentically yourself and feeling the feelings. And that's what cognitive diffusion is. It's giving ourselves the opportunity to feel the feelings, whether they're low vibrating feelings like shame, guilt, anger, um, so that we can put intention on how we want to feel. So it is okay to acknowledge if we have these negative feelings like fear that might be associated with procrastination, but then we have the opportunity to think about, okay, well, how do I want to feel? And so when you're thinking about procrastination, a lot of times it's driven by fear or low, vibra low vibrating emotions like fear. And so if you think about wanting to start something new, that's often where it's driven a fear of it's new. What if I don't like it? What if I'm not good at it? And 
something big. Maybe it's something big that you're working on, but you keep waiting until you're ready. And I love this Seth Godin quote. If you don't know, who, if you don't know who Seth Godin is, he's very inspiring. But he has this quote where he says, "If you wait until you are ready, it is almost certainly too late. If you wait until you are ready, it is almost certainly too late." Sometimes we have to start things before we're ready. And if you think about and you look back on something that you did start, maybe before you felt 100% ready, I'll use myself as an example. Okay, I'll go first. Starting this podcast. I'll tell you what, I was not ready. I did not know anything about podcasting. And honestly, if I go back and I listen to episodes one through five-ish, I cringe because I didn't realize that what people want is true, authentic connection and conversation and just real life information. I was scripting things. It didn't feel like just an authentic, real conversation with me, but I started because at some point I had to just rip the bandaid off and get going and putting the content out there so that I could start connecting and reaching my audience with the messages that now I'm really confident in delivering to you today. But I'll tell you what, I was not ready, but I started. And if I waited until I was ready, we wouldn't be this far into season two of drinking with gin. And so think about something in your life that maybe you started before you were ready or that you've been putting off because you're waiting until you're ready. Just start now. It might not be perfect, but it's not designed to be perfect. It's designed for you to start making progress. We're aiming for progress here, not perfection. And procrastination certainly isn't cut and dry. I'll tell you in this medical news article, they referenced and quoted a lot of different psychologists, medical um, professionals, psychology professionals. And they even addressed that some people with ADHD may really relate to this procrastination or feeling like they're procrastinating. However, there may actually be a lack of dopamine where you're innocently unaware of a deadline that's looming until it's too late. So your procrastination may not even be intentional. And these symptoms can often be common in people that have, or it can be a symptom of people that have uh, anxiety disorders, which I thought was really interesting. So again, we are not here to beat ourselves up. Like I said in last week's podcast about the kind key and how we speak to ourselves, we are here to build ourselves up. And sometimes the reason of why we procrastinate is because the task at hand might have low value, or it might have low impact. And that may actually be okay. If you're procrastinating something that has very low value or very low impact, that may just be helping you prioritize the things in your life that are a little bit more important and then putting off those things. But it's important to look at that aspect and be very, uh, not critical, but to be very aware of the fact of, is this something that I'm just procrastinating or am I actually prioritizing? You've got to be honest with yourself about the tasks or the things that you're procrastinating starting. And look, like I said, I procrastinated or I wasn't ready to start drinking with gin. So like I said, 
There are things that I have either procrastinated or that I have started before I was ready, like this podcast. But there are things that I do procrastinate, like house projects. And this was actually something that was quoted in one of the studies that I came across. They said that oftentimes people will procrastinate things that they think will take longer than they really do. And for me, that's house projects. Oftentimes I will procrastinate things and I'm like, oh, that's going to take forever. And then I will finally do it. And I'm like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Like patching and painting a wall. Um, It never takes as long as I think. Or what about workouts? Do you procrastinate working out, exercising, moving your body, whatever that looks like for you? Um, I love this Peloton. So if you're one of my Peloton people, Jess Sims, she is so motivating. She's kind of sneaky. I feel like she like pumps you up, motivates you. And then all of a sudden you're doing this super hard workout and it just like builds up. And by the end, you feel like you're just killing yourself in the best way possible. But she always starts every workout with you did the hardest part. You're here. Boom. Check. Done. Hardest part of the workout is done. You showed up. And sometimes that is the hardest part is just starting. There's a whole section in this Medical News Today article about bedtime or sleep procrastination. I'm not going to go too far into this. Um, If you know me, you know I am obsessed with sleep. So this is definitely not something that I do. I love bedtime. I love to go to sleep. I love to get in bed. I love being well-rested. But I guess this is a really big phenomenon right now. And there's a whole lot of information behind this. And what they said is that women and students are most likely to have bedtime or sleep procrastination. And it can really affect your cognitive function, your decision making. So if this is something that you struggle with, I highly recommend that you look into it and see what some of the tips and tricks are that you can do to improve your bedtime or your sleep procrastination. Because all of these things, this procrastination can really have a snowball effect. It can have that downward spiral. And when we continue to do this, it can really lower productivity. It really just lowers overall the things that you can get done, and that only increases stress. So as you procrastinate things and then your to-do list builds up and gets bigger, you become more stressed out about it. Can anybody relate to that? And when you get to a point where it gets so bad, it can become paralyzing for people, especially when the procrastination becomes chronic. And when I say it's that spiral effect or that snowball effect, It's just like what I talked about last week in the kind key, you know, these negative self-talk thoughts that we have for ourselves. It becomes a downward spiral. So we have to make that shift. And when we have these negative thoughts, the kind key mind shift can really help you transition out of that downward spiral of having these negative thoughts step by step. And you can download the kind key mind shift workbook for eight bucks. It's only $8. It's 14 pages. It's got step-by-step. It's got monthly trackers, weekly trackers. There is so much helpful information. And you know what? You can even use it for tracking your procrastination and helping you use it as a checklist on days. Maybe you track how many days in a row you didn't procrastinate. Or if you have the I'm My Favorite, a guided journal for your path forward, 
or you want to get that, you can order that on Amazon or also from my website, JennyPream.com. You can track your procrastination in the nurture tracker. So the nurture tracker, you can then track every month. If there's something that you procrastinate and you want to start forming a new habit, something that you can track on a consistent and regular basis will be really helpful for you to shift out of that procrastination downward spiral and then start to track more positively so that you can begin to create habits for yourself. Now, like I mentioned, there can be a link to procrastination for narcissist abuse survivors. I will link an article. So if you want to go a little bit further into the reading on this, I'm going to link this article for you. But oftentimes, and it's not to say that if you are a procrastinator, you are a victim of narcissist abuse. I just want to reiterate that. I know I said that in the top of the podcast, but I just want to reiterate that. But some people, especially when you're in that recovery phase, Oftentimes, victims of narcissist abuse say that they lose themselves. They feel like they've lost themselves. And then they begin to experience things like confusion, self-blame. They feel depressed. Um, They may have the inability to concentrate and focus on things or have a lack of motivation, which can lead to procrastination. It may affect their self-esteem or that fear of failure, which again, I think can oftentimes be, you know, in my opinion, I believe that that fear of failure can really tie into that procrastination amongst a list of many, many other things. So again, I will link that article if you're curious to read more about the effects of narcissist abuse and how procrastination might tie into that. Now, if you also have read the book Atomic Habits by James Clear, he has some interesting perspectives on procrastination as well. So he talks about how there is a line between procrastination and action. This resonated with me so hard, and so I hope that it does for you too. And he said the action isn't the problem. It's not the action. It's not doing the work. It's not doing the thing that you've been procrastinating. That's the problem. It's not the issue at all. It's not the act of doing it. It's starting. And that brought me back to how Jess Sims starts every, you know, every workout that I can think of that I've ever taken with her. She's like, boom, you're here. You started, you showed up. That's the part. That's the line you have to cross is just starting. And I think that also ties back to what I was talking about earlier. When you start and you actually begin the action, that's when those feelings, those future focused feelings like anxiety, stop being present. When you are present, anxiety stops being present. So when you are doing the thing that you're anxious about, that goes away. And then as soon as you cross that line of starting and you go into action, you begin momentum and motivation. And so a lot of times, let's say, let's say you are procrastinating doing your taxes, you've got a year's worth of things that are built up. It's once you start and you say, okay, I'm just going to do a month, usually you can then keep going. Or same thing with working out. Oh my gosh, I don't want to exercise. I'm just going to do 10 minutes. And then you get into the gym and you're 10 minutes in and you're like, oh man, I could keep going for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. So I, that really resonated with me how James Clear said that it's not the action. 
that's the problem. It's the starting. And that's why when we say, what are you waiting for? Just start. Don't wait until you're ready. Start today. And I think that is such a good thing to keep in the back of our minds as we're thinking about what are we procrastinating? What are we waiting until we're ready for? So there's also a lot of tips and ways to help you stop procrastinating. Because of course, we don't just talk about the problems here on Drinking With Gin. We bring solutions. One of the biggest things that is recommended is visualization. And you can do this both as positive and negative visualization. So if you start with a negative visualization, you can actually think about and imagine what it feels like to be up against a deadline or to miss a deadline, something that you've been procrastinating and imagine those negative feelings like stress that you might feel if you don't complete the task. But then you can imagine on the flip side, your future self, your future self having accomplished and achieved the goal. It's like imagining your future self, the best version of you and the benefits and the value that you get out of achieving and accomplishing that goal, that task, whatever it is that you've been procrastinating. So visualization is one really beneficial tool that you can use to help stop procrastinating. You can also use rewards. Um, If you're behind on email, so you could say, I'm going to reward myself with X, something that you love. If I achieve this and give yourself a deadline. Okay. So that's one simple way. I also love, this was a recommendation from James Clear. So when we're talking about building habits, one of the things, so if you love pedicures, only allow yourself to get a pedicure while doing something that you've been procrastinating. So let's say you're behind on emails, only allow yourself to get that pedicure while you're processing your overdue work or your emails that you're behind on. If you love podcasts like this one, especially drinking with gin, listen, and you, and if you've been procrastinating exercising or doing your daily walks or however many walks you do um, per week, if that's a goal of yours, only listen to drinking with gin while you're exercising or while you're going for your walk. So reward system. You could enlist an accountability partner. Accountability partners can be really beneficial to help you stay on task. And this can help you stop procrastinating. You can let them know, this is my deadline, here is my goal. Or it also helps you put progress checks in place as you're trying to achieve a bigger goal. I think that's a really great place to add in accountability partner. Another option that they recommend is make tasks more achievable. So while we're on the exercise topic, again, it's, you know, new year, new you, a lot of people are doing the, you know, eating healthier, working out, make the task a little bit more achievable. So we could also use the example, like I said, of taxes. So instead of saying, oh my gosh, I have to sit down and do 12 months of taxes, I'm going to make it more achievable. And I'm going to say, okay, this month I have to do this month, right? Or one month. Um, For exercise, for example, instead of making it a goal, if you went from zero and all of a sudden you're saying, I need to work out 60 minutes, that might feel like a daunting amount of time. So what if instead of 60, you make it something more achievable, like 10 or 15? If you start running, you wouldn't say, I'm going to go out and run a marathon today, my first day of running. 
No, you're going to build up to it. So instead of running a marathon, maybe it's one mile to start, you know, and so making the task more achievable. Also creating your deadlines shorter. The studies showed in this medical, uh, what is it, medical news today, in this article, they said that when people made the deadline shorter, say one week versus one month, you are much more likely to achieve and accomplish and finish that task or meet that deadline for whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish, whatever it is that you've been procrastinating. So shorten up the deadline and actually give yourself less time. You're more likely to accomplish it and meet that deadline. So making a shorter deadline. Then there's also the chunking method. And this is often recommended for a lot of different tools or a lot of different things that we're trying to overcome. So Again, the tax example, instead of pulling 12 months, start with one month. And usually once you sit down to do that one month and you take action and you start, it's that starting, right? So once you start and you're doing the action, it usually becomes a lot less daunting. So you may say, I'm going to do one month, but once you get going, you might find that you do two, three, four, and accomplish more than you even set out to achieve, you may also do the chunking by you know, doing chunks and then giving yourself a reward. So some of these things you can actually do together. Or with chunking, do a chunk and then give yourself a break. You know, this is one of the things that I do when I get stuck doing something. If I feel if I feel uninspired or if I'm feeling um stuck, I'll take a break. Walk away from it and come back. Or literally go for a walk outside, get some fresh air, or I'll change my environment. So maybe that's another thing that you do is change your scenery. If there's a particular place where you've been trying to achieve the same task or you keep procrastinating, go to a different location. See if that helps inspire you to take action and start on what it is that you've been procrastinating. Journaling is also something that's recommended. So you can journal about your accomplishments. Like I said, you can use the habit tracker and I'm my favorite. You can use the trackers that are in the kind key mind shift workbook that you can download from my website for eight bucks and use visual cues. So those visual cues can really help you reward and look at not what you're procrastinating, but how much you've accomplished. And when you look at how much you've accomplished, that can help you continue to move forward. And it helps you also focus on the positive because like we said last week, we want to stop beating ourselves up and start building ourselves up. And that can really tie into this concept of procrastination, what we're putting off and what we're saying we need to be ready before we start. All of these things can just help with consistency. And when you're consistent, it becomes a habit. And just keeping in mind when it comes to procrastination or starting things before you're ready you know, perfectionism is something that a lot of us strive for or used to strive for. And hopefully we're breaking out of that, you know, habit of trying to do things perfect. And that's why this starting before you're ready and stopping procrastinating is really important. And also keeping in mind that, you know, failure, I think that there's such a stigma around the word failure. Failure is not bad. Especially if you fail at something and you learn from it. Some people say there's actually no such thing as failure. And I love that idea. Instead of f calling it failure, 
maybe it's learning and growing as long as you learn and grow from it we learn and grow from our shortcomings from our mistakes it's not really a failure it's a learning lesson because like seth godin said if you wait until you're ready it is almost certainly too late so think about all of the progress that you can make if you start today what is it that you're waiting for start before you're ready because that will only continue to help you make progress. And that's what we're here to do on Drinking With Jen is make progress and to grow forward. So Jem, until next time, shine bright and let's get growing.